Amen. Thank you. Wayne Stiers is going to bless us with a special song this morning. Wayne, if you would come. <clears throat> I've been picking on my family this season and asking them to provide musical background for my preaching. And Hannah blessed us last week with a beautiful song out of the Appalachian Mountains. I wonder as I wonder. And Wayne is going to sing one of the songs that he's famous for around here. Mary, did you know? Amen. Amen.
Thank you, Wayne. That's beautiful. God has blessed us with so much talent around here. Barbara and I think about it often when we realize that we began our life together in music. We sang in the same gospel groups. We sang in a gospel choir. We traveled together for many years and sang together with uh, Brian and Robin. And, and uh, God has blessed us with members of our family who are very gifted, and we are just thankful to God. Thank you, Wayne, for singing that for us. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them unto heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. I don't know if you realize it or not, but most of our mental images about Christmas, about that night in Bethlehem, about the manger and Mary and Joseph and the baby and the shepherds and the wise men, all of those things, those most most of them come from medieval art, <laughs> pictures that have been drawn, and there are many, many Christmas cards that show the wise men coming to Christ child, the Christ child, just moments after his birth. If you read the biblical account carefully, Jesus would have been about two years old when those wise men, those magi, those counselors arrived in Bethlehem. He was a toddler, not a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's why, of course, Herod demanded that all children under the age of two, two and under, be murdered because he was trying to get to that, to that baby. We really have no idea how many wise men actually came. We, always, uh, we, we focus on the fact that there were three gifts, and therefore there must have been Three wise men. Uh, but the Bible doesn't tell us. We, we, we look at it and, and the Bible talks about men. There came wise men. Read it yourself. There came wise men. It doesn't say three wise men. It just says wise men. They came from the east. And, uh, and so uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of fiction around it because of the, you know, compressing all of the holiday season into a, a, a single day or a single few days. Uh, 
But we know this, those unnumbered magi brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And I guess that's where we get the idea of three. If we're confused about the magi, and we may also be confused about those shepherds. You know, when we think about the shepherds, we really have an image of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Some uh, pretty sweet hippies showed up and sat around the manger singing folk songs and accompanied by a campfire. The reality is, is that the shepherds were really a despised occupation. They, the picture of shepherds in the field getting ready to hear the angels sing, almost like getting ready for a concert, uh, evokes a positive pastoral image for us. It reminds us of Jesus' association with David, the shepherd king. In the first century, shepherds were generally scorned. They were considered to be shiftless, dishonest people who grazed their flocks on other people's lands who were dirty and unkempt and, and not very pleasant to be around. An awful lot like people that we encounter right here in Brattleboro every day. They weren't the pleasant hallmark faces we're used to seeing all the time this time of year. We've so sentimentalized them that on our Christmas cards and our art, we, we make them kind of look like gentle folks just wanting to go to a homecoming celebration. No picture is further from reality. Now notice, I want you to see this this morning. Notice to whom the angels first go to share their news. Notice whom the angels tell. The shepherds. Isn't that strange? I want the angels to do something widescreen and high definition. I want them shouting from the mountaintops and, and parading the streets of Jerusalem, shouting, wake up, wake up, hear this, there's great news. The angels should have gone to the temple to tell the religious leaders what God was doing. They should have gone to the governor in, 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 and let him know that something awesome was happening in Bethlehem. They should have gone to Herod. After all, he was the reigning king of Judea. They should have told him that God was doing a great thing in Bethlehem and that the king of kings had been born. When Moses was born, God delivered him directly to Pharaoh's palace. But the angels, instead of, of telling the, the somebody important to announce Messiah's birth, he came instead to a ragtag bunch of shepherds. That's not what we would have instructed them to do. That's not what we would have done. But that's the way God wanted it. I wonder why. In this account that I read for you this morning, we discover the heart of God and the real meaning of the birth of this child. Here is a graphic picture of Jesus, the one sent to the lowly and the outcast. 
In this picture of Jesus, we are reminded that Jesus came not for people of highbrow and great opportunity and standing in the community. Jesus came for people just like shepherds. Not the religious elite, the politically savvy, the rulers of the people. And he became a metaphor for the kind of people Jesus came to save. Listen to the power of this text. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today. A Savior, who is Messiah the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. Dirty, unkempt, not very well thought of, guys who lived outside, their best friends were sheep. The angel says, this day is born in the city of David, a Savior who came for you. The angels came to shepherds. People who were doing what they did every day and every night. People going through the routines of life. People living ordinary lives. Isn't that what the birth of Jesus is all about? It's about God meeting us. It's not about we know and we talk all the time and we warn each other, you know. It's, it's not about the presence and it's not about the gifts and it's not about the decorations as much as we love the decorations. It's not about those things. It's about Jesus. But somehow, it's not about the high, holy, religious days. Somehow it all gets lost in all of the stuff we do. It was an ordinary day. In ordinary places, in extraordinary ways, God came. The birth of this child is about God coming to us, you and me, in our everyday lives, our everyday struggles, our everyday heartaches, and fears, and anxieties, and frustrations, and saying to us, Don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim to you good news. It's about God meeting us in our pain and our loneliness. It's about God meeting us in the midst of our frustration and our anger. It's about God meeting us on Monday and Wednesday and Friday and bad day. It's about God wanting to be a part of our lives every day. I think that's why God sent the angels to the shepherds. To let us know that this child was for all people. Even the most ordinary. His name was Bill. He was a wild-haired, wore a 
t-shirt and jeans with holes in it and tennis shoes with no socks. That was his wardrobe during four years of college. Though mildly eccentric, Bill was a brilliant guy, and he became a Christian while he was in college. Across from the campus was a, a good church, a busy church, a full church, large membership, very traditional Christian church, and they wanted to develop a ministry for students. They didn't really know how. One day, Bill decided, I'm going to go to church over there. And so he walked across the street from the campus, and he walked in with his wild hair, his T-shirt, his jeans full of holes. Some of you are here today. Shoes and no socks. The service had started. Bill started walking down the aisle, looking row after row after row after row for a seat. Couldn't find a seat. Wasn't a seat available. This church was full. He finally ended up at the front of the church, hadn't found a seat. So Bill just sat down on the floor, crossed his legs. By this time, the people were a bit uncomfortable, but nobody was saying anything. But as Bill got closer, as I said, closer and closer, and finding no seats, he sat down. And although perfectly acceptable anger, uh, uh, behavior in a college fellowship, not in this church. This had never happened before, and the people were really getting uptight, and tension was in the air, and everybody was thinking, somebody needs to do something. Suddenly, near the back, an old, old man got up, the head deacon, a lot older than Nate, our head deacon, no hair, traditional black suit, walked with a cane, distinguished silver-haired guy, what hair he had left in a three-piece suit. He walked with a cane, and everybody thought, uh-oh, can't blame him for what he's about to do. How could you expect a man of his age and background to understand some college kid thinking he can worship sitting on the floor? Thank you, David. It, it, it took some time. It took some time for the man to reach the boy. And the church had become utterly silent except for the clicking of the man's cane on the tile floor. Every eye was focused on him. And when the elderly deacon got to the boy, he dropped his cane to the floor. And with great difficulty lowered himself down onto the floor beside a bill and said, May I sit with you? So he wouldn't be alone. You realize both you people are going to need help getting. <laughs> That's what the coming of Jesus is for. Now, you may sit there for the rest of my sermon or whatever you choose to do, but that's what Jesus means. He came. For those who are not exactly what we think he came for. Radical action, radical behavior, radical gospel, radical savior, radical God. Who does not live in our box. And who does not follow our rules. 
or necessarily our church statutes. You can only imagine the first reaction of the shepherds. They were scared to death. They understood the appearance of angels as an omen, as if God perhaps was getting ready to bring his wrath upon them. The angel, sensing this, said to them, Don't be afraid. Look, I'm proclaiming to you good news of great joy today. Today, a Savior is born for you. With that, the heavens opened with glorious music. The heavenly chorus praised God and said, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. In the midst of an ordinary life, an ordinary night, ordinary shepherds encountered an extraordinary God. The shepherds must have been surprised that God broke into their ordinary lives. For us, Christ sometimes breaks into our lives when we least expect it. When my mom died on June 8th, 2011, we, we knew that she was dying. We knew that her time here was short. I was called early one morning to go down to Vernon Green, and uh, the doctor said uh, she's in respiratory failure, and she's, she's not going to be with us much longer. I sat by my mom's bedside for the next couple of hours before she passed from this life to the other. The memory of that morning that really was etched into my mind was when I walked into the room and my mom was sitting up in a bed being supported by a couple of, nur- of the nursing staff. And she, she, my mom was literally suffocating. And I don't know if you've ever looked into the face of someone who can't breathe. It's the most terrifying thing I think a human being can endure. And... My mom was not afraid that she was going to die. She knew she was dying. She was comfortable with that. But the, the experience of not being able to breathe, there was a face, there was a look on her face as she looked in my face that I, I could not get out of my mind. I could not get out of my mind. I couldn't sleep. Her memorial service, was a, uh, we put it off a week because we had another funeral here on the next available today, so we put it off a week. And every time I laid down and closed my eyes, I could see that face that my mom had. I'd wake up in the middle of the night. Every time I closed my eyes, that was all I could see. The night before mom's memorial service was held here, Barbara came by and slapped me on the shoulder and said, let's go out to the storage area. Mom had a bunch of stuff stored out there, and she had promised some of it to the kids and grandkids and some of the kids and everything. And she said, we need to continue to sort through your mom's stuff. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't really feel like it. And she said, you need to do something. Let's go. And my wife can be very persuasive. 54 years have taught me that. So I got up begrudgingly, and I went out to the storage shed, and we were looking through different things. Now, Andy wanted this, and Abby wanted this, and we're going to keep this, and, and we're not going to keep this. And Barbara, just before we were ready to go, Barbara handed me an old photo album. 
Now, I tell you, I had shared with our pastor's group, with everyone, you have to pray for me because I have to do my mother's memorial service. And all I can see when I think about her is that terrified, absolutely terrified look on her face. My wife handed me this old photo album, and you know, one of those little that you thumb through, and she said, do you want this? And I, I thumbed through it, and I said, oh, no, that's just a picture of one of my cousin's many weddings. And uh, I, I don't really want it. I've got some of those. <laughs> but as I thumbed through it, there was a, a, a flash of brown that went by my eye. And I thought, well, I'm going to look at that and see what it is. And I turned back, and there was an old brownie Kodak picture. I don't have any memory of the old brownie cameras, you know. It was a kind of sepia looking. And, and it was a picture of my mother when she was seven years old. And it was Easter, and she was dressed up in a new dress, which was very rare for them. They were very poor. My mom did not grow up a happy woman. But I saw that picture, and I saw that face. And I will tell you, by the way, just in case you're wondering, it was like looking in Grace Steyer, Grace, what's your name now? Baker. <laughs> it was like looking in a carbon copy of, of, of Grace Baker. Styers. But, but I, want, I, I tell you this story because I want to tell you what happened. This was a kind of an ordinary time. Everybody goes through it. We go through it differently. That photograph of my mother, happy, absolutely erased that image of her being so terrified that she was suffocating. And I was able to come into this building the next day and do a memorial service for my mom. And I know that in that moment, God used my wife to get me up out of my pool of, of, of despondency. And he was going to show me a picture that at one time my mom really was happy. And that's the picture that I remind myself of when I think about my mom. Ordinary moments. Ordinary times. God comes to us. And after all, that's what the birth of Jesus means. God comes to us. And the heavenly chorus sang glory to God. And after this powerful display of praise, the shepherds just had to see for themselves. So they ran off to Bethlehem to experience what the angels had told them. And when they got to Bethlehem, they hurried, uh, they, they ran to the place, they found out the place where the baby was, and they went and found the baby Jesus lying in a feeding trough. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child. And all who heard it, the scriptures tell us, all who heard it were amazed at what the angels had shared to them. When God offers grace... The appropriate response is exuberant joy. Eventually the whole world would celebrate the coming of this child. But for now, only the shepherds knew what had happened in Bethlehem. And the result was the response that should arise from all of God's people. The shepherds returned to their flocks, glorifying God and praising Him. Think about that this Christmas when we get so encumbered with baking cakes and cookies and wrapping presents and trying to find that last present and figuring out how to go here, go there, go there, everywhere. Stop for a moment. 
And remember that the angel came to lowly people, people with problems, people with struggles, people with brokenness, people with failure, people who were accustomed to, to experiencing difficulty in their lives. And the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, a Savior for you. The result was a response that should arise from everybody. They went back to that flock singing and clapping and jumping and exuberant and filled with joy. Reading Luke's account, we're filled with wonder. We, we expect something miraculous. We, we expect the amazement to continue. We want the mystery of the moment to continue. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we long for something amazing in our lives. Our routines are so predictable, so harried, our schedules so frantic and so programmed. Our children are so busy with schoolwork and school activities and sports and church. Our days are packed with stuff. I wonder, I wonder if we allow ourselves time to live. And thinking about this and pondering this, I, I'm fascinated by the number of people who are pell-melling through life. And forgetting to live life. I've often remarked that many of the people in our culture spend all of their time trying not to die. We fill ourselves up with programs and exercise and, and supplements and vitamins and healthy food. And, and, and da, 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 da. And we're just desperate to beat death. So desperate to beat death we forget to be alive. Yet as we hear the angels singing and the shepherds hurrying and Mary pondering, we may find just a little bit of time to wonder. We often sing that song, I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Do you ever wonder at that? How God could call people like you and me his friend. And yet, he does. We're struck by the routineness of it all, the normalness of it all. We've come from angels singing glory to God to the daily ticking of the clock. The challenge for us is always to find ways of celebrating the presence of God in the ordinary moments of everyday life. The smile of a friend, sharing of a meal, the beauty Good music. Last week I asked Hannah to sing a song. It's an old folk song that comes out of the Appalachian Mountains. Nobody knows who wrote it. Let me read it for you again. I wonder as I wander. Out in the sky, out under the sky. How Jesus the Savior did come for to die. For poor, honorary people like you and like I. I wonder as I wander out under the sky. When Mary birthed Jesus, t'was in a cow stall with wise men and farmers and shepherds and all, but high from God's heaven a star's light did fall and the promise of the angels it did recall. If Jesus had wanted for any wee thing 
a star in the sky or a bird on the wing or all of God's angels in heaven for to sing. He surely could have had it because he was the king. And the wonder is also captured in the following prayer I'm going to read that was prayed by or written by Beth Moore. O God of glory, Lord of love, set our captives' heart free to adore you. Deliver us from all that blurs your greatness and distorts your goodness. Self, take your rightful crucified place. And Son of God, you alone be raised. King of glory, we approach your throne by the blood of the risen Lamb. We confess our pride and the poverty of our lives without you. We acknowledge that you are sovereign and you are perfect in all your ways. We rise in belief that we are your treasure, the apple of your eye. And as we worship in spirit and in truth, our awakened souls find rest. Captivate our minds with kingdom thoughts. Unveil our eyes to share your vision. Steal our hearts and set them ablaze with your passions. Wrap us in garments of praise, the armor of light and the robes of your righteousness. Turn our mourning into dancing and make our hearts beat as joyful tambourines before you. Rejoice over us, O God. Renew us with the breath of heaven. And as we sing your praises, may the song you sing over us drown every worry and bind every broken heart, whispering hope to the hurting, and cause those crippled by fear to rise up and walk. And, O oh God, as we walk, we ask for lives hidden in you, that your life may be revealed in us. O oh God of glory, Lord of love, your children worship you. One of the charges against the early church was these men have turned the world upside down. A fellow tells the story of a college couple who had met at an informational meeting for a spring mission trip to the Honduras. They'd been going out for a while and it seemed like there was a great deal going on between them. And... Uh, the fellow says, we're going to Honduras together, he said, and who knows where it might lead the two of us. One day around Christmas time, a friend saw him walking across campus, dejected, and he said, what gives? Mary Ann isn't going to the Honduras, he said gloomily. I'm sorry, I wonder why. She can't afford the time? No. Marianne said that her older sister, Clorinda, went down there and it changed her. Made her mom and dad furious. Clorinda said she got born again down there. Marianne said she got turned upside down. When the shepherds had seen Jesus, their world was turned upside down. They spread the word concerning what they had been told and what they had seen. And all that heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. That's what the birth of Jesus means. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you with our ordinary lives. We come to you 
with wonder, with amazement, that you would come to one such as I. That you would lay down your life, pour out your blood, that you would join yourself to the likes of me and many of my friends in this room today. Father, our town is filled with men and women such as the angels appeared to on that dark night. Castaways, cast outs, uh, un-whatever, maybe dirty, maybe clothless, maybe homeless, living on the streets, very much like those shepherds. And Father, my prayer for this Christmas season, let the angels sing over Brattleboro and declare to the outcast and to the homeless and to the broken and to us, do not be afraid. For I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. This day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I do, Father. I pray. I'm praying big things. I'm praying for things that the mind can't even really capture. But could you send a quartet or a chorus or a choir of angels one night this week? And sing over Brattleboro that men might be filled with joy? Would you send men and women out of this place today filled with wonder to go tell everyone what they have seen? Not the lights on the street, not the lights in our building, not the decorations in homes. But we have seen a vision of a God who has encapsulated himself in human flesh and come to fill us with joy and purpose and meaning. Fill our hearts with joy, Father. For we must confess that many, many times this season becomes more of a burden than it is a joy. So, Holy Spirit, sing over us this week that we might be filled with the joy and wonder of those shepherds. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I'm coming for assistance. <laughs> oh, thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you.